0: or simply download the CCCIV app. You'll find the direct link to the app at www.ccciv.org forward slash get the app. Or when you text CCCIV APP to 77977.
1: seven. Doesn't Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know, we're perfect saints in church, but when we get out in the real world and somebody rubs us wrong, I have a saying, I said, you know what, I'm glad I'm saved. And I am so heart set on serving Jesus and following Jesus and wanting to be Christ-like, but I haven't forgotten how to do it the other way. And that's the thing that crops up at times that you got to put in check, Right? But I need to know that, that sometimes when I fail and fall and skin my knee, that God is not done with me and He's still going to bring that work to completion. Okay, so, there it is, man. We've got it all covered in those verses. God's guarantee He will finish what He started. God's goal for us to be Christ-like. God's goodness works suffering to our benefit. In that passage, stand on that today, beloved. Now, as we close out this Passage in Romans as we get to verse 31 and we go to the end of this chapter, sometimes it brings me to tears. It does. God's promise in suffering is security. That whatever we go through, we're absolutely secure in Him. And that's what Paul does. He's going to ask five questions here. And I think we need to briefly look at those. Chapter 8 did start with the emphasis on no condemnation. It's going to end now with no separation as we get to the end. And when we look at this, you know, we have to see that our security is grounded in God's work for us in Christ. And it's grounded in God's love for us in Christ. Those two things need to be at the forefront of this passage of Scripture as you approach it. Our security that we have today and that we enjoy as believers is grounded in God's work for us in Christ, but it's also grounded in God's love for us in Christ who loves perfectly. So Paul begins verse 31 with two questions. He said, what then shall we say to these things? What things? The things he had just spoken of. I mean, imagine Paul, you know, preaching out of Romans 8. Imagine, you know, there's times he preached this, no doubt. There's not just times that he wrote it, but there's times where he preached this. And imagine that he's just preached everything you heard in chapter 8, and all of a sudden he says, what shall we say to these things? What should we say to those things except, wow, God. Wow, God. It leaves you speechless. The second question is a mic drop moment. If God is for us, who can be against us? Imagine Paul right there on stage. If God is for us, who can be against us? Drops the mic and walks off. I mean, seriously, look at that question. That's a rhetorical question. That isn't meant to have an answer to it. But Paul's going to anticipate that there's going to be an answer coming, so he's going to finish it. But really, if God is for us and you believe in the God that I believe in, who can possibly be against us? How does that pan out? Okay, so here we go. God's gift to us in Christ guarantees our provision. Watch this, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That passage right there echoes the offering of Isaac by Abraham. See, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but there was also a Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint. And when we see that word there, God did not withhold or spare his own son. We see that also in the life of Abraham when he was asked to offer up Isaac. God says to him, because you did not withhold your son, your only son. That's what he says to Abraham. Abraham, go sacrifice your son. He's getting ready to do it. God stops him right at the end. And he says, because you did not withhold your son. And so I think what Paul is trying to do here for you and me today is to take the greatest human example of what you can think of, especially when there's Jewish believers there. And that same word comes up. God did not spare his own son, and neither did Abraham. So they think of Abraham, they would have known the story so well. And what it drives home for you and me is the magnificent love of God that is exalted. Sometimes we need fleshly examples, we need examples in real life to illuminate deep theological truths. And when you talk about the love of God, where do you begin? How does God love And we see here with the life of Abraham when he was asked, without hesitation, says he saddled his donkey, not even his servants, but he saddled his donkeys and he started to go, and it says, to worship the Lord. And that's the first time in the story of Abraham and Isaac that the word love even shows up in the Bible. 21 chapters, you don't see the word love. And God is love, you wonder why it wouldn't show up. But the first time it shows up is right there in chapter 22 of Genesis your only son whom you love. And Abraham didn't spare him without hesitancy. And God's love for us, he didn't spare his own son. He didn't spare his own son. When you look at that word, he who did not spare his own son, there's another term there too, but gave him up for us. The Greek word there is peritomai meaning to give up. It was the same word used when Pontius Pilate gave up Jesus to be crucified. Same word. There's all these things that point us to God's love and how our security is grounded just in that very truth of the work of Christ. How could we not be more secure than that? How could we not be more secure than that? was God's hands. That's what when it says that Pilate gave up Jesus for crucifixion, handed him over. The same word used here, Paul is saying that wasn't Pontius Pilate's decision. That was God's decisions. Pontius Pilate was just a tool in God's hands. Pontius Pilate, I don't care what leader in this world, they're not above God and God pulls the puppet string sometimes, and he accomplishes his will. And so when Pontius Pilate gave up Jesus, he was doing the bidding of God's plan at that time. God was in total control. And our salvation is secured because it's God who justifies us. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies No being can undo what God has done. If God justified, no being is going to undo this. Now, this would be significant to those who lived in Rome at the time because Romans was written in 57 A.D. Nero took the throne, that horrible man, that maniac. A lot of people think he was a maniac. He was just not all there. And he becomes emperor in 54 A.D., and he is the guy who turns up the heat on Christians like nobody else. He persecutes Christians like nobody ever did. He put them in polls doused them in fuel and lit up his courtyard. Christians burning. That's how whacked out this guy was. And so what I think Paul is doing, there was a little bit of persecution going on at the time, but he was really going to turn up, especially in the 60s, a few years after Paul wrote this. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Because those Christians were falsely accused They were told they did things that they never did. They were accused of cannibalism because they were taking communion. All of these false charges were drummed up against Christians so that they can go under persecution. But it's God's courtroom that matters. It's God's court. This is becoming more real to us today, isn't it? You know, we saw in Portland where Bibles, a stack of Bibles was burned. There were some churches that were burned during the riots, right? There were people destroyed Jesus' statues. And so you're seeing this anger come out and they're going to see the Christian, they're going to see the Christian as the stumbling block. They're going to see Christians as nothing but anti-gay, that they're anti-abortion, that they're the ones that are outspoken, they're the real problem in this culture and the storm clouds are beginning to gather. Now, I tell you this only because we should be anticipating that. Anticipation will always lead to preparation. Always. And so if we're like ostriches with our head in the sand and we don't see what's going on around us, seriously, it's turning. The question is, are you going to stand when that happens? Are you prepared for that? I bring this up as an encouragement because this church in Rome lived it, what Paul was writing. And to know that God, who can bring a charge against God's elect? The government down here may bring charges. Who knows? But what matters most is the heavenly court. That we stand before a God that we're responsible to. Nobody can bring a charge against God's elect. You are totally... Innocent and not guilty if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Satan can't bring a charge against you. No demon on the face of the planet can bring a charge against you. Certainly no human being can bring a charge against you. Imagine a courtroom, right? Some of you have watched L.A. Law, probably. Or you've watched a real trial on TV before you've got a prosecutor. You've got... The one being accused, and you got a defense attorney, and you've got a judge. Well, in God's courtroom, the Father is the judge. The prosecutor is Satan. We are the accused that's being accused of every thought, every word, every deed. But our defense attorney is Jesus Christ. And so when the evidence is brought before the court on guilty or not guilty... He shows his nail-pierced hands and feet, his thorn-cut brow, and his spear-pierced side. And that is the evidence for acquittal. Eliza Hewitt was a hymn writer who died in 1920. She put the defense well in this hymn. said, My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living One. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. Somebody from our congregation sent me a quote on Friday, and this was the quote. In heaven there will only be one person with an imperfect body, Jesus our Savior, with scars still in His hands as a reminder of His love for us. Those scars are the evidence of our acquittal. So whatever we do here on earth to honor God, we don't worry about other things. This is expected. The only reason I say anticipation is necessary now is for your preparation. Christ was condemned for us, verse 34. Who is to condemn? There's another question, important question. Christ Jesus is the one that died. More than that, who was raised, Who is at the right hand of God. So, who was condemned? Christ was condemned. God is absolutely just. It's just like somebody who's accused of murder and goes through a trial and they're acquitted of the murder, that you can't try them again. God would be unjust to hold us guilty if Jesus was already condemned for our sin. He was condemned for our sin. Not only that, Christ is praying for us. Saw where the Holy Spirit was praying for us, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. How about that? Not only the one who hung on the cross and was condemned for us, not only the one who bore every one of our sins where the prosecutor cannot bring a charge against us, is also the one at the right hand of the Father that's praying for us. And we saw this actually happen when he told Peter this in Luke 22, when Peter was going to deny Jesus. Here's what he said in Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. How many know that Jesus' prayers don't fail? Ours may miss the mark, but not Jesus. So, our security is grounded in God's work in Christ for us, especially that on the cross, but our security is grounded in God's love for us in Christ. And I'm going to start to bring this to an end, but you need to hear this in verses 35-39. to We see this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So we see immediately Paul is now going to ground our security in God's love for us in Christ. And so separating us from the love of God is an impossibility. That's what he's going to draw out here. That there's no way God could ever quit loving you the way he loves you now. That you are his, you're his child, and he will always love you as that. And that's where security comes from. I remember when the kids were little, you know, we we went up to the beach. We love going to the beach during the summer. Who doesn't? And when the kids were little, they loved the water. Cameron was probably three years old, barely walking, and he would like to walk out to the waves, and I would follow him. And as he would walk out to the waves, You know, they were a little bit bigger than probably he thought at the time. And so the waves would come in and they would knock him down and dad was there to pick him up. And every now and then he would go around. He'd look back to see if I was still standing there. And another wave would come in and he would laugh. And As long as I was there and he had that security because nothing was going to separate Cameron from my love for him. And I was there to pick him up when he fall. And that's what we need to see is that even though the blows and the waves of life are going to knock us down at times, we have the love of God that's going to pick us up. And nothing's going to separate us from that love. Physical suffering will not separate us from God's love. Look at those words. Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine. Persecution they're talking about, friends. They were locked up, man. Many of them were in prison. They were starved. They were beaten. They were put in stocks. It's not like our jails here where you got air conditioning and you've got three meals a day and you've got cable television. They didn't have that there. There was none of that. It was the most miserable place to be. And many people died in prison. Why? Just because of their faith. And so famine, nakedness, you know, you didn't have any clothes too bad. You're not getting an orange jumpsuit. (laughs) Sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. And he pulls that scripture out of Psalm 44, 22, which was in that context, it was them questioning God. Look, God, we've obeyed your covenant. We followed you, and yet we're going through this. And for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. They would have known where that came from, and that would have found comfort for them because God is absolutely just in whatever happens in our lives. So, physical suffering will never separate us. You know, Corey Tinboom was a Dutch Christian watchmaker, and many of you have heard her life story before. But her and her family would smuggle Jews out that were being persecuted during the Holocaust, and they got busted. Their family got busted, and they were taken to prison. And Corey Tinboom spent time in the concentration camp. Four of her family members died. She made it, but the last one that was near Berlin, her sister who she was really close to, Betsy Ten Boom, died there. And she hung on to the words that Betsy had spoken while they were in the concentration camp as they knew the Lord. And at times where this would come through, like, God, are you mindful of us? Do you know that we're in this concentration camp? Do you know how we're suffering And Betsy's words were this, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And then said, God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. It doesn't matter how deep the pit is, friends. They're right. God's love is deeper still. Spiritual suffering is not going to separate us from God's love. That's what we see. Part of verse 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our love and three of the nine potential threats to our security that Paul lists is spiritual beings angels rulers and powers and so we see that going on the other two could be a possibility height or depth could be referring to the whole spiritual realm but the point is god's power is infinitely greater than any spiritual being so how can anything separate us from that love god uses spiritual attacks to bring us to greater dependency on him 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 says, So to keep me, this is the Apostle Paul writing, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Paul's now going to the Lord. He's now becoming dependent on the Lord during this time. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's talking about coming to a total dependence on the Lord. And sometimes that needs to happen, friends. That God sometimes strips things in our life and brings us through trials to bring us to a point of being dependent on Him. It ultimately works for the good. Whatever it is, it works for the good. And that's why He says in that verse 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. In 1976, the Olympics in Montreal had an interesting thing happen. A Japanese gymnast, Shun Fujimoto, was competing in the team competition. And somehow during the floor exercises, he broke his right knee. It was obvious to all observers that he would be forced to withdraw from competition. But Fujimoto was a fierce competitor. On the following day, Fujimoto competed in his strongest event, the rings. His routine was excellent, but the critical point lay ahead, his dismount, because of the broken knee. Without hesitation, Fujimoto ended with a twisting triple somersault. There was a moment of intense quiet as he landed with tremendous impact on his wounded knee. Then came thundering applause as he stood his ground. Later reporters asked about that moment, and he replied, the pain shot through me like a knife. It brought tears to my eyes but now I have the gold medal and the pain is gone. We need to understand that we stand our ground no matter how painful it is because we got something better than a gold medal coming. Now when you look at the sufferings of this world, friends, what we go through with Christ especially, proclaiming Him, proclaiming the Gospel, we can respond in one of three ways we can break out break down or break through you can break out meaning you can rebel you break out of the boundaries and you run from the problem you try and medicate your problems with sin that's what's breaking out of the boundaries of god Or you can break down, meaning that you just simply fall apart, that the anxiety climbs so high, fear fills your heart, and you begin to doubt God, and you fall into despair, and you begin to go deeper and deeper in a pit, not seeing the light out of the pit. And you've allowed it to take your mind captive rather than you taking the thoughts captive. Or you can break through. This means you break through your suffering and you embrace it knowing that God is using it to prepare you for glory, for eternity with Him.
0: Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church, in Imperial Valley. our website at www.ccciv.org or simply download the ccciv app. You'll find the direct link to the app at www.ccciv.org forward slash get the app or when you text ccciv app to 77977.